I invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 4. We'll be reading together this morning verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4 verses 8 and 9, Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray again and ask him to help us as we study his word. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We pray that by your spirit, you would sanctify us by that truth, that you would enable us to walk in a manner worthy of your gospel, worthy of you, O Lord, worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Father, send your spirit. May we rest and rejoice in the gospel even as we hear instructions, O Lord, from your mouth, that we might live according to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, our great high priest. Amen. So ask yourself this morning, are you more of a thinker or more of a doer? Which one would most describe you? Our society uh, tends to divide people and categorizes people and careers even along these lines, lines, doesn't it? Uh, There are some who uh, should go to a liberal arts school, There are others who should go to a trade school. Some have white-collar jobs, some have blue-collar jobs. There are some who work with their minds, and there are some who work with their hands, as if thinkers never do and doers don't have to think. No matter where you might fall on that thinking-doing spectrum, our text this morning tells us that if you are a Christian, then God commands you to do both, to think and to do to meditate and to act, to ponder and to practice. You see it there in verse 8, think about these things. And then in verse 9, practice these things. Following Jesus engages the whole mind, soul and body, both our mental capacities and our actionable capacities, we might say. If we forsake either pondering or practicing, then our claim to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind is an empty one. Both pondering and practicing are absolutely necessary for a healthy and a thriving Christian life. Now, to be sure, thinking and acting, pondering and practicing, that's not all that being a Christian is about. I would add, we ought to be. Right? The, the being of being a Christian is a part of the Christian life. But those two things, thinking and acting, pondering and practicing, that's what Paul is putting before us this morning. And yet, so often, uh, we are tempted to, to pick a side, as it were, and to neglect or even to attack the other side. Maybe you've even said it or heard it said, I'm more of a theology nerd. I don't really spend as much time thinking about obeying God or serving and loving my neighbor. Or others who might say, look, I'm focused on loving people, so don't bother me with those hard questions about predestination and who should be baptized and and what it means to to, to obey God. I just want to love people. 
And so we tend to, to bifurcate. We tend to, to make these false dichotomies in our lives. But, but what Paul is telling us here is, is that it's not like the waiter asking you if you want to have lemon with your water. Right? It's not something that you can take or, or choose, take or leave. No, God doesn't give us a choice. Ponder and practice. It's like our jobs. Uh, no one uh, would say if you're a school teacher, well, I'll teach, but I'm not going to communicate with parents and I'm not going to grade. No pastor should say, well, I'll preach, but I'm not going to really worry about pastoring people or about planning and doing administration. When I was a grocery store clerk at age 15, right, I couldn't tell them, look, I'll stock things, but I'm not going to sweep and I'm not going to bag groceries. No, all of our jobs are multifaceted, and so is the Christian life. Now, yes, God may have gifted you, as we just saw in Romans 12, along a certain path and in certain directions. Your focus, your attention may be more along the lines of thinking or along the lines of, of doing. Uh, but as I've illustrated in other contexts, uh, pondering, practicing, they are the, the two ing, wings of an airplane. Boeing doesn't sell right-winged aircraft, right? It's, it's a, an airplane. This is the Christian life, thinking and doing, pondering and practicing, Paul says to us. And as we walk these twin paths, Paul promises us, God promises us, that he will be present with us. So this morning, I want us to, to think about these things, three things briefly this morning, pondering, and we'll spend most of our time here, practicing, and the presence of God. First, pondering. Look again at verse 8. Finally, brothers, as Paul is wrapping up, bringing the airplane in for a landing, as it were, finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things things. Let's think about thinking. First, notice with me that God is clearly concerned that we think. He wants us to meditate and to reflect and to ponder. Using your mind is not optional, Paul is telling us. It's a chief part of who we are as humans, and it's a chief part of our sanctification, of being made more and more after the image of Christ. Think of these scriptures, Matthew 22, we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. Right? We've read it this morning in Romans 12. We are to be transformed according to the renewing of our mind by the renewing of our minds. Ephesians 4, Paul tells us that before we became Christians, uh, we were walking in the futility of our minds. We were darkened in our understandings. We were ignorant of the truth. We were callous and hardened toward all the things of God. What is salvation? But but God renewing us in the spirit of our minds. Second Corinthians 10, Paul calls on us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Colossians 3, he tells us to set our minds on things above, not on the things that are on earth, earthly things. Now it is very easy, isn't it, to fall into a trap of thinking that thinking is something that we got rid of as soon as we finished the last class and high school or college or, or whatever that your last schooling was. It's easy to fall into this trap, into this seduction of screens right? and, and just desire to be passively entertained by TV, the internet, all of our streaming services, social media. Right? We live in a world that, that is very quick to entertain, but thinking is an active thing, not a passive thing. Thinking is something that God calls us to engage in, to learn how to do, to cultivate. We're called to think. And so Paul would first ask us this morning, do you think? Do you ponder? Do you meditate? 
Do you ever dwell on anything for a sustained period of time? Do you regularly engage your mind? Are you seeking to love God with all your mind? Are you being renewed according to your mind? So if we are to think, what does God want us to think about? Well, he tells us what is true, honorable, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. He wants us to think in, in certain ways because as Proverbs 23, 7 puts it, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. What we ponder, we become. For all of life starts within, in our hearts. Again, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Guard your heart, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. You've heard perhaps the acronym GIGO, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. That doesn't just apply to computer programming, right? It, it is a truth, a principle of what you put in is what will come out. And so both sin and godliness flow from our inner thought life. And just like a person who desires to, to be healthy physically will shun junk food, so Paul is calling on us here to shun junk thoughts. Now, it's true, I just asked you if you think, but from another perspective, we might say this, you're always thinking, right? even when you're not thinking about anything in particular. Everyone thinks, and the question is, what are you thinking about? What is filling your mind? Are you pondering? Are you meditating upon these things that Paul tells us, please, God? You've heard me use in these few moments the, the word meditation. You have to understand that Christian meditation is not an emptying of the mind, but rather is a filling of the mind with the characteristics that Paul lays out for us here. You cannot get rid of trash thinking without replacing it with, with godly thinking, a new way of thinking. We're all familiar, uh, whether we don't call it this, but we're all familiar with the law of flat surfaces, right? Uh, the law of flat surfaces says that if you clear off a flat surface in your house, a table, a countertop of all the things that do not belong there, like a magnet, right? Within seconds sometimes, someone will find that flat surface and say, oh, look, a flat surface for me to put my shoes on, to put my toys on, my books on, my papers on. And you're like, how did this get here? I just cleaned this off. Well, it's the same thing with our minds. You can say, okay, I don't want to think this. I'm going to clear it off, all these things. But if you do not replace it with the things that actually belong there, it'll just suck in all those ungodly thoughts that were already there before. We will sooner or later be thinking about the things that we wanted to stop thinking about. And so Paul says, think about what is true, not lies, not slanders as it replies to relationships. Don't think about things that are genuinely, truly fake news or some theory that's not grounded in the truth. Isn't it interesting? We live in a day and age where it is genuinely difficult to discern what is true. It's amazing though, on the one hand, that, that our culture does care about truth. It's like what Pilate said doesn't apply anymore. We want to know what is truth. That's a good thing. But how to discern what is true is more difficult. Something we read online may indeed be fake news spread intentionally or unintentionally, or it may be factual and called fake news by someone who doesn't want it to be known precisely because it is factual about them. We must be a people as Christians of integrity, a people who hunger and thirst for the truth, who think about and seek to discover and to know what is actual, what is reality, 
Let us speak the truth. Let us reject all lies, all half-truths. We as a people of God must meditate upon what is true. How sad it is to hear sometimes of Christians right, who, who are following schemes and, and thoughts that are not true, spending time listening and thinking about the things that are untrue. And yet Paul says, think about what is true. We're to ponder what is honorable and noble as opposed to what is debased and degraded, vulgar and unworthy of our time. There must be a seriousness about our thinking, a gravity. There's a word that we've lost, grave. Now, of course, Paul here doesn't mean that Christians can have no sense of humor. But what he's saying is that we must reject all flippancy, all glibness, all cynicism, because we are to think about what is honorable, what is noble. We're to think about what accords with justice and, and purity rather than that which defrauds another or, or tempts towards sexual lewdness and promiscuity. We are to think about what is lovely and commendable, the things that are intrinsically attractive, the things that are pleasing and praised by all. If anything is excellent, Paul says, if anything is praiseworthy, let that be the object of your meditation. And so he would ask us, what is filling your mind? What sort of things are you watching and listening to and reading and talking about with friends? What does your thought life look like? Now, clearly the, the Bible, the word of God and the gospel of God ought to be primary in our meditations. It is true. It is honorable. It is just and pure. It is lovely. It is excellent and praiseworthy. Psalm 119 verse 11 says that we are to treasure up his word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. Especially as we consider the context of verses 8 and 9. Paul has just spoken about anxiety and about how we are not to be anxious about anything, but to, to speak to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Remember how last week we said we're also to speak to ourselves. Well, these things in verses 8, verse 8, are exactly the things that we are to be speaking to ourselves from his Bible, from his word, the truth of his amazing grace. But notice how broad Paul's language is here. Whatever is true, right? Whatever, 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 if anything. It's not just God's word that we are to think about. It's also God's world. The things that we see around us, there are within it true things and honorable things. There are just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent things. Things that are in accord with the heavenly kingdom of which we are citizens. Yes, we're citizens of this kingdom. We are not to, to therefore cloister ourselves away in some monastery. Jesus sends us into the world. We are, of this, we are in this world, but not of this world. And we are to go into the world. And therefore, as we go into the world, Paul is saying, embrace and ponder the things that you see that fit these characteristics. The very words that Paul uses would lead us toward this interpretation of a broadening of what he's saying. Paul here is borrowing vocabulary from the, the very Greco-Roman culture in which the Philippians lived. He's intentionally speaking in language that they would have recognized. Words that would have been associated with their worldly citizenship as Roman citizens, as, as those living in this Greco-Roman world. He's saying to them, use your mind. And Discern what is true, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely in, in the culture around you, and think on these things. 
In the book of Titus, Paul will do this himself, won't he? When he says, uh, one of the, the, the Cretans, one of themselves, a prophet of their own has said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. You can tell Paul has thought about it. He said, this is true. And he's applying it to his ministry and to Titus's ministry there on the island of Crete. And we are to do the same in our own lives, in our own ministries as God's people. Uh, we've just watched the Olympics. Uh, undoubtedly, if you watched it, you heard stories of athletes. You heard stories of uh, sort of whether it's rag to riches or from injury to success. And, and there was something that grabbed you, something that, that stuck out to you. And, 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 and you said, okay, look at the the intensity, look at the work ethic, look at the, the commitment, the single focus, focus. Look, look at the way that this athlete has, has come from here to there. There's something noble, there's something honorable and, and commendable about that. And Paul would say, think on that, ponder that. Perhaps it's a biography of someone whose story is compellingly beautiful. Now, perhaps it is a novel that sheds light on the human condition or the beauty of a painting or a poem or, or music or a philosopher's vision of what the good life looks like that accords with the scriptures. If you're a student starting school this fall, recognize that every class that you take, there is something true and honorable, something right and pure and, and beautiful and lovely. And Paul would say, ponder these things. Now, yes, just like Paul's words in Titus 1, sometimes the truth that we see in our fallen world reflects that fallen world. It reflects the sin, the brokenness that comes with living here on the other side of the fall. And we must guard, therefore, our hearts and our minds, lest we're tempted to move from righteousness and purity to unrighteousness and impurity. But even in those cases, can't we do what we do with the Bible itself? carefully think about them and, and set them in their context. I mean, you read the Bible and you are reading sin. You are reading about rebellion. And yet you're reading about it in a context of judgment and salvation, of God's holiness and God's grace. And in the same way, as we engage with the world around us, right? We're not to shut ourselves off and say, I'm just going to read my Bible because that's the only thing that's true. No, we're to engage with the world and we are to say, where is their truth? Where is their nobility? Where is their purity? Where is their justice? All around us. Paul is saying, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So whether in God's word or God's world, our call is to ponder, to ponder, to think, to the glory of God. Because what fills our minds, again, will influence and shape how we live, which brings us to the second point from this text, not just pondering, but practicing. Verse nine, Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Just as there is a credenda for Christians, things to be believed, things to be thought about. So there is an agenda, things to be done Duties to be performed, deeds of love and mercy and justice and service to be performed in the name of Christ. Work to be done for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Our inner thoughts are to have an outer expression. Our beliefs are to manifest themselves in the fruit of the spirit and in those good works which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. And notice this practicing is to be an imitative practicing. We are to do what we see. 
We're to take what we have learned and, and received and heard and seen from the apostles, and we are to imitate them, to be like them as they imitate Christ, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 11. Now, sometimes you'll hear that, that preachers are never supposed to tell their flocks to be like other people or to be like Jesus or to be like the apostles. My struggle with that has always been, but Jesus says be like him, right? The, the apostles say be like us. We are to be like, we are to imitate. No, of course, never in order to be saved, right? We don't imitate Jesus because that's the way we're saved. No, we imitate Jesus because we have been saved, because we want to respond to his great grace and mercy by walking in his steps. Now, it's obvious that we don't have the apostles here with us the way the Philippians did, we haven't heard directly from the Apostle Paul. We haven't seen him walk in our midst. And yet we have reserved for us and in the scriptures, we have the record, the testimony of all that they delivered to the church, all that they said and taught, all that they lived out their faith. And so just as Paul was saying to the Philippians, we too are able to see what it is that we must imitate as we read the Bible, and particularly the Philippians would have seen in Paul his suffering. That's a note that has been sounded throughout this letter to the Philippian church. The Philippians faced opponents. They too would suffer. Paul told them in chapter 1, verse 29, to you it has been granted not only to believe, but also to suffer for Jesus' sake. And so he's reminding them once more here in this verse that they would stand firm in unity and steadfastness, that they would be ready to share in the fellowship of Jesus's sufferings, being conformed to Jesus's death. Paul is calling them, he's calling us to imitate him in suffering for Christ, to imitate him in living a cruciform life, a life that is shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that already in chapter two and chapter three, it is a life of suffering. It is a life of laying down one's life for another. It is a life of putting aside pride and selfishness and not just seeking your own interests, but the interests of others. A life of considering others better than yourselves. This is how Paul wants the Philippians. This is how Paul wants you to imitate him. Here he is in a Roman prison calling us once more to do to practice, to join him in pressing on toward the goal of glory, to live with that goal in mind, to keep living according to what we have already attained, as he says back in chapter three. And when we fail, when we fall, we are to forget what lies behind. and We are to strive and strain for what lies ahead. We are to press on toward that goal day after day, looking for that day when we will share in the glory of Jesus Christ and we will enjoy the presence of God without interruption, without interference, without sin and without sorrow, without suffering in any way. And Paul says, press on, do, practice, do the things that you have seen me do, do the things that you have heard that I did, do the things, endure the things that you have seen me endure. Well, finally, Paul reminds us that presence of God is not merely something that we're waiting for. It's something that we will enjoy even in the here and now. He ends verse nine by saying, and the God of peace will be with you. 
his encouragement to the Philippians and to us, even his promise is that as we ponder, as we practice, as we set our minds on the things that please God, as we live in a manner worthy of the gospel of God, of the calling with which we have been called, even now in this life, the God of peace will be present with us. It's not just that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, but that the God of peace himself, the God who gives that peace, will be present with us in this life. We don't just get a gift from God. We get God himself. Now think about a person that you would love to meet, you would love to, to, to get to know a famous person or someone who's not famous, but it's just someone who you just would love to, to spend time with. And what if they sent you a gift for your birthday? You think, this is amazing. This person who doesn't really even know me has sent me a gift. What if they showed up at your birthday party? Even better. And Paul is saying it's not just that God gives his peace to you when you plead with him in prayer, when you seek his face. But as you practice, as you ponder, God is with you. The God of peace himself is with you. The God who has made peace with you through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, promises to be near to us, even in our most difficult of circumstances, as we seek to conform our, our minds and our lives to his ways. But notice, if what is implied here is that if you refuse to heed God's word, if you refuse to think on the things Paul says to think on and, and practice the things that you've seen and learned from the apostles, then Paul would say, don't be surprised if God feels far away from you because you have run away from him and he has let you run away from him. I love the, the way that our Westminster Confession of Faith puts it so assuringly and yet soberly. In chapter 11 and the chapter on justification, uh, the Westminster authors write this, God does continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified, that have been saved and declared right with God. And although they can never fall from the state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon and renew their faith and repentance. This is exactly what we see in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. If we run away from God, God oftentimes lets us go. He lets the leash out. If we refuse to, to practice and to ponder, if we live according to our own devices, then the Lord will indeed feel distance from us. And so if you read these verses and you are convicted by what Paul commands you here, that is good. Let these words show you your sin. Let them show you your need for Jesus, the Savior, who has accomplished your peace with God. Let them show you the beauty of the mind of Christ, the one who never dwelt on anything that was untrue, anything that was ennoble, anything that was unrighteous or impure, that was unlovely, that was not commendable, that was not excellent or, or worthy of praise. Jesus, who had a mind of humility and gentleness, compassion and self-denial, who perfectly thought about and did everything that his father commanded him to do. Let these verses show you the beauty of your Savior. And let them show you as well the work of Christ in dying for your sins, sins against these very commands. Let them show you what repentance looks like, what it means to turn from your erroneous ways, your sinful thoughts. 
This is how God is transforming his people. God who has begun a good work in us, he will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is the one who is at work within us to will and to do for his good pleasure. Brothers and sisters, God has pledged that he would be present with you. If you belong to him, you, you can never lose your salvation. Yes, there may be seasons where you lose that sense of his presence with you. you. You are feeling like you're under his fatherly displeasure. If that is you this morning, return, come back to him. Even as the prodigal came back, come back to the father and you will find the father running to meet you. The father who desires to be present with you, who longs for you to return. He will welcome you. He will rejoice and delight over you. And so in these two areas, pondering and practicing, in some ways, as we said, it encompasses the entirety of the Christian life. We are called by Paul to walk according to God's word because of all that God has done for us in Christ. And we have this rich encouragement that as we do it, the God of peace will be with us. Let's go in his grace and strive to do the things he's called us to do. Let's pray. Well, Father, we know that in ourselves, we can do nothing. We're powerless, we're weak. Our minds are prone to wander. Oh Lord, we thank you for this verse, these verses that, that funnel, that, that, that channel our minds in the right direction, that, that channel our actions, that show us how we are to live. Oh Lord, by your grace, would you enable us, oh Lord, to think, to ponder, to practice according to your word, Lord, all the things that are going to come across our minds this week, would you help us to, to, to weed out that which is impure, that which is unrighteous, that which is unlovely, that which is not true? Lord, would you give us grace to meditate on the things that you would have us to meditate on? Oh Lord, would you get us in your word every day that we might be able to discern and to test the things that, that we're hearing every day. And Father, would you give us grace to strive to imitate the Apostle Paul, to imitate the Lord Jesus, to live according to your word. Holy Spirit, come and help us because we are a needy people. Jesus, you are the vine, we are the branches. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we pray for your grace to rest, to abide in your love. Oh Lord, we ask that you would help us to keep your commandments, to love you because you have first loved us. So Lord, help us, we pray. Be with us as we go this day. Help us to keep this Sabbath day holy, to remember the Sabbath day that you've so graciously given to us. Oh Lord, help us to rest and to serve and to love one another, even as you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.